0: to help us continue to bring you our hot takes on everything opera-related. com slash donate. Enjoy the podcast.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh, let's get ready to rumble!
0: Wherever you are... However you're listening, hey, welcome to America's talk radio show about opera, period. I'm your host, George Cedarquist. Joined this week by my guest co-host and tenor, Alex Carey, my colleague from the Chicago College of Performing Arts at Roosevelt University. We are live right here, right now on WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago. And that means that you can be one of our listeners who gets to have their say on the air. 847-847-847. 866-WNUR is the number in studio. We're also streaming live on WNUR.org slash pop-up. Again, call us 847-866-9687. All right. Tonight, creative consultant Oliver Camacho goes inside the huddle with countertenor Ariya Nussbaum Cohen In Cohen's first interview since being chosen as a winner of the 2017 Metropolitan Opera National Council Competition, hear firsthand what it's like to be singing on America's biggest stage. But first, it's Chalk Talk. Alex and I take a look at the ways in which classical music and pop have been mashed together over the years. Sometimes success, sometimes epic fail. Check out our website, operaboxscore.com for related articles and then it's the two minute drill all the opera headlines from the past week that you need to know and our hot takes on them it is great to be back on the air last week was a podcast it was me and Dinah this week it's me and Alex Carey how are you, sir? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Good, man. Hey, thanks for hanging out on a Monday night up here in Evanston and oh, doing the show. No problem. All right. So you're at Roosevelt, and uh, where are you in the program? Well, I'm
2: a second-year master's student. I'm studying with Alan Glassman, uh, and it's it's kind of crazy. It, it's the, the master's program. It feels like it just started, but it's already just about done. I've got master's recital coming up, uh, got some... Big, uh, comprehensive reviews coming up as well. So, uh, pressure's on for the last couple of weeks, but its I'm feeling pretty good about
0: it. So, you're busy. And you just did a show, right?
2: I did. We actually just closed uh, Ravel's L'Enfant Les Sautilèges, uh last week. And that was directed by uh, Andrew Eggert cool. and conducted by Maestro Ardi Pelto. And I had a lot of fun with that.
0: What do you, what's on your recital program that you're doing? Uh, well, it's... Uh,
2: it's quite a quite a quite an eclectic program. I'm singing a few uh, few of Schubert's Winterreise. I'm singing uh, some things as far back as uh, some Handel, all the way up to uh, uh, View from the Bridge by Bulcom. Mm-hmm. It's uh, kind of spans a lot of time in the tenor repertoire.
0: Yeah, nice. Uh, we should probably talk a little bit of sports before we talk opera. Sure. The Final Four has been set. Ooh. My my bracket was busted. Oh, days ago, very early on. I I thought Arizona was going to go all the way this year. And that was, they flamed out. My Michigan Wolverines did better than expected. They made it to the Elite Eight, losing to Oregon, which is one of the teams in the Final Four, along with South Carolina, of course, UNC, the Tar Heels, and... Gonzaga. Go Zags! Woo! Why do you say Go Zags?
2: Well, uh, actually, I'm from Post Falls, Idaho, and that's actually about 20 minutes from Spokane, Washington. So, uh, I've I've been a Zags fan for a long time.
0: It took me years to figure out where Gonzaga was.
2: Yeah, it's before you figure out it's in Spokane. It's like, where's Gonzaga? What's a Gonzaga? I don't really know.
0: So, <laughs> I, so let me ask you this then, Alex. So you grew up in Idaho? I did. And were you singing like from a very young age? Like, How did you get into opera? Well,
2: actually, I first got into acting. That was something I wanted to do when I was really, really young. I remember being like four years old and wanting to be in movies. Uh, And then I did drama in middle school and high school and actually in high school, uh, I was I was picked up to do the school musicals. My first singing engagement was the Grinch in Susical the musical, <laughs> and then from there got picked up by my choir director, and then got into classical singing through choir, and then kind of just went from there.
0: That shows you just how young you are. That like you were doing uh, Susicle <laughs> as like the first show. Yeah. Uh, does anyone do Susical anymore? Um.
2: If they do, they're probably not super vocal about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a dreadful show.
0: Right. <laughs> yeah. All right, my man. Should we talk some opera? Let's do it. All right, let's do it.
1: Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score.
0: It's Opera Box Score and WNR George Cedarquist hanging out with the likes of Alex Carey live in studio eight four seven. 866-WNUR is the number to call. Hey, you get to get something off your mind about opera, about what we're talking about. Give us a call. You can also tweet us at Opera Box Score. All right, so there was an article in the Washington Post. It's on our website, too, operaboxcore.com, about an orchestral endeavor that was in D.C. What's the dateline on this? March 19th. All right. So this is a week or so ago, which was basically an outfit called the Experimental Orchestra, led by conductor James Blachley, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, that had done this work called Stravinsky Rave, The Rite of Spring Dance Party. (laughs) Uh, Does that sound like something you would go to see? Um, It seems like dancing to that
2: would be kind of hard sometimes, but...
0: I'd check it out. That's what I thought, too. But it was essentially like this mashup of Rite of Spring with a DJ interspersed with, I think, some other small performances. There was apparently like a little two-person short uh, ballet piece at one point. There was another piece, a a world premiere uh, concert uh, chamber piece. And apparently this conductor at some point... Started to admonish the audience for like talking. I don't know if he admonished them for dancing, but definitely for oh for taking pictures with their phones. Oh. And I guess my question is like, if you're gonna create this sort of event, why would you try and step on people's urges to respond to the music in this very kinesthetic way? Like that that makes no sense to me. Uh but also, the Rite of Spring, I think, is a funny choice, right? Because that is a very syncopated piece. Right, yeah. I I th- would find that that would be very hard to dance to. Oh, for sure. <laughs> you know? Now, what's ironic, right, is that, like, Rite of Spring was this piece that incited a riot when it was first premiered in Paris. You know,
2: maybe he was going for that.
0: Right. <laughs> so, like, dude, are you trying to incite a riot? Uh Purely through the music of Stravinsky, or are you trying to incite a riot through the mashup of like classical music and a live DJ layered on on top of it? Like, what's the point? My question for you, Alex, is: Do you think this idea in general has merit? Do you think there is potential in mashing up two different forms like this, or does it just feel like classical music is trying to get down with the kids?
2: Um, I actually think that it's uh, it's kind of cool that they're trying to mix things up like that. I mean, obviously, uh. For opera, you want to keep some of those more traditional things to get those uh, those more traditional opera lovers interested because they come out for a lot of that traditional stuff. But I think as, as time goes on, uh, these things, you gotta you got to mesh them up. It, I think it's great.
0: I mean, there's certainly a precedent. I know here in Chicago, and although this organization doesn't exist anymore, there was the New Millennium Orchestra here in Chicago that did this very thing. They took orchestral works and mashed them up with... Beats. I'm just going to leave it at saying beats. Like there was a DJ, <laughs> he or she, I think they were mostly he's, would be playing beats underneath the, the orchestral music. I'm more interested in it in terms of vocal music. Uh, and here's a good example was that Boz Lerman, if you recognize the name, he was the guy who directed Moulin Rouge, famously, mm. from the. Ooh, late 90s, would you say, that movie was from? Yeah, something like that. Yeah.
2: Turn of the century. Yeah,
0: right, exactly. Uh, He's also a a, a very accomplished stage director for theater, for opera as well, and he did this production of Britain's Midsummer Night's Dream at Opera Australia, Opera Australia being the big opera house that's in Sydney Harbour. You're going to hear about them later on the show. And he did this very hip version of Midsummer Night's Dream, many of the songs of which were remixed with DJs doing beats. And let me just play you guys an example so you know what we're talking about. So the last number of Midsummer Night's Dream by Britton is this beautiful simple chorus by the fairies uh, called Now Until the Break of Day. And this is what it sounded like when Boslerman paired up with pop singer Christine Anu to rework the song. You have to sort of wonder if like Britain is maybe turning in his grave. I don't know. He's probably dancing. (laughs) (laughs) He was a fabulous dancer, Benjamin Britain. I just, it sounds like a club anthem, right? I mean, put aside like the slightly tacky synth horns and strings. (laughs) But I think there's something very attractive, actually, about certain composers that I think would lend themselves well to this idea take Rossini for example when you listen to Rossini the harmonic rhythm has a certain drive to it right mm-hmm. those quick arias by Rossini take something uh, like *Barber of Seville that's probably the most famous Rossini opera there's something about the driving harmonies and these are not complex chords right Rossini no. did not use anything outside well, I'm not going to make a huge generalization here. there's a lot of one four and five
1: yeah,
0: okay. mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of like the hallmark of, I think, of a, lot of a lot of EDM, a lot of electronic dance music. And there's just this drive to that music, which I feel like would work well in this kind of a DJ-style setting. Huh. There's also this uh, example, the Tonhala Orchestra in Zurich, of all places, also has done more of this sort of non-vocal, purely orchestral music, matching it up with DJs as well. So I think it's awesome. I don't think the conductor should be telling their audience like not to enjoy it. Right. That seems counterintuitive to me.
2: Right, because I think the the audience, they're just as much a collaborator as everyone else that's performing, and to tell them how to behave, especially when you're doing this experimental new thing, you're trying this thing without rules, so why are you trying to instantaneously then give it rules? That's not going to really work.
0: It's Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. George Cedarquist here with Alex Carey tonight, guest co-host. Let us know what you think of the story. Post some clips if you have been to any kind of... uh, classical music pop mashup on facebook we're at opera box score later on in the show aria nussbaum cohen one of the winners of the 2017 metropolitan opera national council auditions is on the show being interviewed i want to talk to alex before we get to that segment though about what these auditions are so lay Lay it out for us, my man.
2: Well, basically, you can think of this as the the biggest singing competition in the country. Uh, many singers from around the country are competing for this opportunity to launch their careers. And uh, there are many different age groups who actually go pretty far. I think Nadine Sierra won it when she was 22, 21, something like that. And then you have people that are close to 30 that sometimes win it, too. Uh, and it, you go from local, regional, and uh, national semifinals, and then finals. And like I said, apart from uh, just that great exposure, you get the, you get prize money. There's also thousands of dollars worth of prize money, and uh, uh, you can really get a chance to see the the stars of tomorrow that you're going to see at the Met or at La Scala or at all these other places in the in the world. Just from looking at this competition
0: so in that very first round which is what called the regionals i
2: think it's the district the district and
0: can anybody go to that
2: uh yeah i think uh, anyone can register and i think you can i don't think there's a limit to how many times you can attempt you can definitely only win once yeah that's okay i think yeah. once is enough if you win the whole thing definitely
0: <laughs> definitely okay so you started the districts mm-hmm Anybody can do that. Sure. And then they take whatever number it is, and I, they go to the regionals.
2: Yeah, I think, I don't know how many winners they take from each, each tier. It might be one or two. I think eventually only one from each region come in. Uh, don't quote me on that. I'm not entirely sure, but it's something like that.
0: Okay, and then from the regionals, they go to the, the national level, which is in New York, or maybe there's an intermediate there's, I step. I, I'm thinking there's something in between. Yeah,
2: there. yeah. It,
0: seems, it feels like there must be. But when it comes down to it, in those finals, so that takes place at the Metropolitan Opera House, it's mm-hmm. on the stage yeah. of the Met. The Met Orchestra is playing. In the past, that would have been conducted by uh, James Levine. I'm I'm not sure who conducted this year. Uh, I'm not sure either. Uh, in the interview, Aria mentions. Uh, Nicola Luisotti, but I don't. Th- he was in San Francisco, so I, I don't think he was conducting the the Met finals. And then yeah, when you win it, it's huge. Mm-hmm. I remember in two thousand six, one of the first shows I ever assistant directed. It was actually at Chicago Opera Theater, Abduction from the Seraglio. Mozart. The role of Osmin was played by actually a Northwestern grad. Uh, who had just won the Met competition. He was the first base to win the competition in a number of years, I think, Paul Corona. And uh, I talked to him about it. And again, this is over 10 years ago. And he was like, yeah, man, I mean, literally, you're picked as one of the winners because there's multiple winners. They don't just pick one person. Right,
2: I think uh, there are six final winners.
0: Exactly. And he was like, yeah, basically my life changed totally overnight. And just by winning this one thing. So, hey, stick around on Opera Box Score. We're going to get to that interview in one second. We got to take a quick break. We will be right back. WNUR, 89.3 FM.
1: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. More right after this.
3: and I have just and discovered some amazing stuff. living food animals and but we've
2: also discovered an urgent matter that needs our help. According to my calculations, one in five kids in America struggles with hunger. Our latest mission is to help solve hunger by teaming up with the Feeding America Network to get food to kids facing hunger in communities across the country.
4: Help Flint and the Feeding America Network of food banks get food to the people who need it in your community. Find your local Feeding America food bank at feedingamerica.org hunger. Together we're feeding America. A message from Feeding America and the Ad Council.
2: AIDS has created over 14 million orphans worldwide. That's the equivalent of every child under five in America with no one to watch over them. Won't you please help defeat this tragic global epidemic? At current rates, AIDS is turning another child into an orphan every 14 seconds. That's two more children orphaned in just the time it takes to make this announcement. Please go to apathyislethal.org or call 1-866-AIDS-FUN fund toll free now. AIDS is preventable. Apathy is lethal. A public service message brought to you by the United Nations Foundation, the Ad
4: Council, and WNUR.
2: Right now, thousands of at-risk youth around Chicago lack the caring adults they need to help them stay in school and out of trouble. Fortunately, hundreds of youth tutoring and mentoring programs around the city are working to pull these youth off the street and towards college and careers. However, these programs rely on generous supporters like you to volunteer your time and resources to make a difference. Visit www.TutorMentorProgramLocator.net to find a program
1: near you today. Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle. George Cedarquist
0: on. WNUR 89.3 FM, hanging out with the likes of Alex Carey.
1: Hey.
0: <laughs> Thanks for hanging out, man, on a Monday night. 847-866-9687, number in the studio. If you want to give us a call, let us know what you're thinking about. Some of our stories tonight, two-minute drill coming up in 20 minutes. Right now, we're going to throw it over to our creative consultant, Oliver Camacho. He sat down with Aria Nussbaum Cohen, a countertenor who is one of six winners of the Metropolitan Opera National Council Finals. This interview is going to tell you what it was like to be on that stage and what is coming up next for this man.
3: Hi, everybody. I apologize in advance for the low-tech quality of this interview. I had the chance to meet Aria Nussbaum-Kohn, just a couple weeks ago when he was uh, a featured artist with one of the local early music ensembles here in Chicago called the Newberry Consort. And I was really impressed with his singing and I, of course, rushed backstage to try to meet him. And then just a few weeks later, he is in the Met Finals and we were friends on Facebook at this point and I was following the progress of this competition and I wanted to seize the moment and uh, interview him, even with a low technical quality, uh, so that I can kind of have him tell us a story while it's still fresh in his mind of how this came to be. So the first question I pose to Aria um, is just backing it up and telling us about the competition and what it was like from the beginning.
4: Yeah, so um, it starts out with the district round, um, which starts in the eastern region and our district is in New York and that was back in October. I actually almost didn't enter the competition this year. I decided to enter about a week before with my teacher. We were debating. I didn't know if I was ready to enter, Um, but anyway, so I I got the second-to-last slot in the eastern region of New York, and um, yeah, entered, and wasn't expecting to get through the first round, but um, got through the district round, and what's wonderful is you get a lot of feedback from the judges after each round, and they're all kind of Big folks in the industry, so it's just wonderful to get their feedback and try and incorporate it as you go. So, and I was especially grateful, you know, after I won the district that, okay, now I'm working towards the regionals. And so the district was in October, regionals were in January. So I had those, you know, I couldn't remember that you you, those couple of months of, um, you know, now I had this really driving me forward of now I want to kick ass in the regionals. And again, um, yeah, so then we had our Eastern regionals in January, and I was, again, very surprised to get through and, um, That advanced me through to the national semifinals, which were 23 incredible singers, Uh, and that was on March 12th, Um, and that was our first time singing on the Met stage, which was an incredible experience and really overwhelming emotionally, and um, yeah, and then they named nine finalists, and I was, again, shocked to be one of them, and um, then I was so honored to be named one of the six winners this year.
3: Let's back it up to the regional and uh, district, district rounds. What was some of the feedback you were getting from the adjudicators?
4: Yeah, so there's was a lot of, like, interpretive stuff um, with my arias and things, and especially with my past singing um, that, like, didn't come naturally to me, and it was only recently that it kind of dramatically clicked for me. Um, but I was glad to finally kind of crack that puzzle. Um, but, yeah, a lot of, like, interpretive stuff and things about just the way I approach my audition arias and making sure I present them in the most compelling way possible. And the best thing about the competition, too, was that once you advance to the finals, you spend a week just working with these incredible coaches and folks at the Met Um help you get into the best possible shape, and I had another big breakthrough just in terms of how I dramatically approach things, working with the incredible director, Peter McClintock, who was working with us for the week, and it's just amazing the resources that they kind of give you to help you improve as you go along. It's just really wonderful. and. Especially feedback is something that I think is lacking a lot in the, like, upper industry. You know, like most auditions, you go in, you sing your seven minutes or whatever, and you either get your yes or no. But I think if if after every audition they gave you just 30 seconds of feedback, it would just be so great in just helping everyone identify what they need to improve and everything. And so I'm just – I was grateful that the Met, um, that that was built into this process because that's something I've experienced very rarely, just getting feedback.
3: So many of us have seen the Met Council audition final movie called uh The Audition, uh, which featured Michael Fabiano and Kira Duffy and Amber Wagner, etc. Uh was it anything like that?
4: Yeah, so it like was it like the audition? Yes and no. I mean the, definitely the pressure was on and I'm um I'm a kind of like type A anal kind of person, so I like mm-hmm. um I took that as, like, okay, this week I'm having all these coachings and lessons and working with the maestro and everything, and I wanted to do everything I could to incorporate all of the feedback I was getting. So even, like, beyond all of my singing, practice thing and whatnot, like every night I would spend at least half an hour at the opera house just running through my arias and just reading over my notes from my lessons and just kind of trying to incorporate everything. Um, so definitely pressure was on in that sense. What was wonderful is that in the documentary there are, like, a couple of the competitors who are kind of, you know, really viewing it as, like, a competition and really competitive, and mm-hmm. i was really glad, like, none of those finalists were, no one acted like that, everyone was just really wonderful colleagues, and it was just great, honestly, just to get to know everyone and make some great friends through the process, too.
3: So, what was it like to sing on the stage of the Met?
4: Yeah, so I've, I've been lucky enough to sing in a couple big houses, and everyone has said, like, oh, the Met is, like, the best acoustic of any big house, and you definitely feel that What's weird is that you don't get any – you don't get much feedback in terms of actually hearing yourself, but you have this sensation of knowing that the sound is being, like, shot out there by the acoustics of the hall. It's kind of what I would say. But so it still involves a lot of trust. And that's what I found Thinking at these big houses. Like, anytime you're singing in one of these halls, there's just so much trust involved because you're used to hearing yourself and, like, having a sense of control over what's going on. And you just have to trust that the sound's going out there and that it's not, you know, just dying. Because even, like, San Francisco Opera singing in that house, first time I was out there it just it felt like my sound was just going nowhere you know so there's just a lot of a lot of trust involved I would say but just overwhelming to sing on the stage of the Met I mean incredible considering the semifinals, I went out there and sang and it went pretty well and as I walked off stage as I was walking kind of through the whole backstage area back to the dressing room I just started crying I was just overwhelmed by the experience of singing on that stage it's just Oh, it's just incredible to think of obviously all the artists who have come you know, who have sung there before you, but, you know, just, uh, it's like, you know, the Mecca of opera, it's just, it's an yep. incredible, <laughs> incredible sight. So to have the opportunity, and especially at my hometown opera house, I've seen dozens and dozens and dozens of operas there. So to finally have the chance to, sing up there, it's just an incredible, overwhelming experience.
3: So the semifinals took place on the stage of the Met, uh, but the finals were, uh, first time you got to sing on the stage with the orchestra what was it like to be on that stage and to have the orchestra in the pit and to have the conductor in the pit and to have that whole new arrangement
4: yeah so it's definitely um you know you want to watch the conductor but you also want to kind of pitch your sound out because you know it's a huge hall and you want the sound to go to the back of the hall um mm-hmm. but definitely felt supported by the orchestra and the orchestra musicians were so wonderful just in our like this and rehearsals with them and um it's clear they like it's clear they really enjoy kind of being part of that competition process and you know, seeing the young singers who were obviously all so excited as each thing was happening as opposed to maybe some of the jaded uh, old stars or whatever. Um, but yeah, and it was also, we were so lucky, the maestro who was conducting this year for the finals was Nicola Luizotti, who's was the head of music like over at San Francisco Opera, who was just like the sweetest guy in addition to obviously an incredible musician and It was just wonderful to work with him and get to know him, and he's a real singer's conductor, and so you felt really supportive that you could just kind of do your thing, and he would follow you, of course, you're watching him, but it was a beautiful symbiosis to work with him.
3: So we know from the New York Times article that you sang uh, Handel aria, uh, Dove Se, and you also sang uh, the aria from Flight. Um, How did did you choose your repertoire, and uh, how did you know what you were going to sing?
4: So, well, in the semifinals, I sang The Flight first, and then they asked for Venti Turbini from Ronaldo, my fast handle. Mm-hmm. And then in the finals, uh, it's all kind of picked in advance. You pick the arias in tandem with the books at the bed, and, um, I gotta think that Pompevane di Morte Dove from Handel's Rhodolinda and then the Refugees Aria Dawn Still Darkness from Jonathan Dubb's Flight, which at first they weren't sure if they were gonna be able to make it possible for me to sing The Flight area because that's something they have in their library, obviously, and they had to ship in the parts, but, um, I felt pretty strongly that I wanted to think that and that they were able to make it happen, which I was really grateful for.
3: So we know how the story ends. Um, You are announced as one of the winners, one of the six winners. But then the next day, something even more crazy happens. Uh, Zachary Wolfe, one of the music critics of the New York Times, writes this incredible article, uh, which they always do. They always review uh, this concert slash competition. But uh, kind of the way he described your performance uh put you in a league of your own and you know he's like drawing comparisons like Jamie Barton and whatnot. Um how what was it like to read that?
4: It was truly crazy. How I, I read Dak Rewolf's criticism and I read the Times every day and um
1: so I knew I've ne-
4: I had never been reviewed in the Times before. I'd never gotten to mention the Times. i was been thinking there were things in New York and um, I've sung in things before that the Times usually reviews, and it's always been like, oh, they didn't, ha- they happened to not send a critic that time. Like, I mean, two months ago, I sang in the finals of the George London competition. They always review it every year, and this year they didn't. I never gotten to mention of the Times. I knew, I knew that, um, you know, there was going to be a review coming out for the finals. So, you know, I was kind of very alert to that, and I set a Google alert for my name just so I could see like it, you know, as soon as it came out. And I, and I just, I started crying. I was like, what? craziest, truly the craziest thing that's ever happened to me. Honestly, like, winning was so incredible, but that art, I mean, it was just beyond. It was crazy. It was wild. Um, so, yeah, I just started crying, and I, I called my parents and, like, was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, and read it to them, and it's truly really beyond my wildest dreams to get that kind of review. It was crazy, and, you know, the one thing I felt kind of weird about was, you know, all the finalists were so talented, all the winners. I mean, everyone was so good, and they were all became such dear friends, and I, like, Still cannot believe that he felt I was worthy of those words. I mean it's just crazy.
3: So in light of your win and that amazing article that Zachary Wolf put in the New York Times, uh, what are some of the opportunities that have, have been presented to you at this point?
4: Yeah, so it's been incredible. There's like not that much I can say publicly, but, but um I already had been like engaged for the next couple of years with young artists residency kind of things, but now there are other wonderful engagements coming up and um I'm also now in a stage where I'm looking at management and meeting with various folks and deciding what the best path is for me in that regard, of, you know, who I want to be represented by. And that's a wild thing that I, you know, beyond my wildest dreams could have never thought would be happening now. Um, But it's just been incredible that obviously on my, my website got 20,000 hits a couple of days after that. I mean, it's crazy. Just the, the, It's really opened up a whole world of possibility for me, which I'm just so grateful for. So the things I can disclose. So, um, This summer I'll be at Wolf Trap Opera as a studio artist working on a production of a Philip Glass and Robert Warren opera called The Juniper Tree. I'm singing in scenes from Giulio Cesare and Oscar, that new opera from a couple years ago. So that'll be fun. And then in late August I head down to Houston to be the first countertenor in the history of the Houston Grand Opera Studio. Nice. It's just a great, great honor, and I'm so excited to spend a season down there learning from the incredible resources and yeah, just the folks at that company. It's going to be, I know, it's going to be a very enriching nine months. Um, yeah, and what else is publicly announced? I'm also, I'm going to be singing Messiah with American Bach soloists in San Francisco for their 20th anniversary performances of Messiah in Greece Cathedral out in San Fran. Um, that's in December of this year. Um, yeah, and then there's lots of other little things popping up here and there for over this next season that will be publicly announced soon. But, yeah, everything will be on my website, com.
3: So you'll be in the young artist circuit for a couple of years, but uh, after you feel like you've done all of that and you've completed that type of finishing school, what are some of your dream roles? What type of music do you want to sing, and where do you want to sing it?
4: Yeah, totally. So, I mean, there's kind of two aspects of like the roles that I really want to sing. I mean, my dream is to sing the, the big handle heroes. Um, I, mean, I really want to sing Julio Cesare and Betarido and all these incredible... Um, characters whose music is just so glorious and I'm excited I'm going to be doing like a cover slash study role of uh, the title role in Cesare in Houston in the fall, which I'm really excited so I can get my hands dirty with some of that. Yeah, but I really want to dig into those handle heroes and then I really want to make a name for myself also in new music, in like, you know, Flight by Jonathan Dove is an opera I was, like dying to do. The musical sensibilities of of some of this contemporary music and I think the Especially like the relevance of, of that opera. I mean, it's just uncanny. Um, so I really want to kind of sing those roles. Yeah, I just really want to dig into that repertoire as well. As far as where, I mean, I'll be happy to sing anywhere. But I, I mean, I I want to do some some work in Europe, hopefully eventually, and I would love to also obviously work here in the states. And yeah, but like I'll be happy with whatever, as long as I can just sing some of this glorious music with wonderful colleagues. I'll just be so happy.
1: Huddle up. Let's go inside the huddle.
0: Oliver Camacho there talking to Aria Nussbaum Cohen, the winner, one of the winners of the Metropolitan Opera National Council auditions. My co-host Alex Carey and I, were going to dissect that interview a little bit more, plus the two-minute drill coming up right after the break
1: live from chicago you're listening to opera box score more right after this a teacher when you were little but as you grew up things changed teaching just didn't seem like the best option anymore
2: so you decided to become something else But what would your 12-year-old self say? Interesting and innovative things are happening in teaching today. So it's time to put it back on your list. Don't try to convince yourself otherwise. You had it right the first time.
1: Find out how you can make more at teach.org. Make more teach. Brought to you by Teach and the Ad Council. Today, my new dad threw a barbecue. I burnt everything. Ah!
2: And then we played catch. I broke Mr. Lewis's window.
3: An
2: estimated 250 million children between the ages of 5 and 14 are working around the world. Unable to go to school, these children find themselves in the vicious cycle of ignorance and poverty. The International Labor Rights Fund is an advocacy organization dedicated to achieving just and humane treatment for workers worldwide. To find out more about ILRF, visit www.laborrights.org. This message brought to you by
1: WNUR. You're listening to Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher. That's
0: what it is, all right. Opera Box Score on WNUR 89.3 FM. Again, number in the studio, 847-866-9687. Give us a call. Let us know what you're thinking about our stories from tonight. The mashup of classical music and DJed music the winner of the Metropolitan Opera National Auditions. One of the winners, I should say. Alex Carey, my co-host tonight, by the way. Alex, how are you? I'm great. How are you doing? I keep saying the winner, and that's just because this is one of the guys we've interviewed. Of course, there were nine finalists in the competition, and six of them got the nod. Six of them got this $15,000 grand prize. I... What, this is what I get from that story. First of all, that, that guy is totally charming. Oh, yeah. You know, he graduated from Princeton two years ago. He's a local kid. He's from Brooklyn, I think. He's, his resume is sick. Oh, yeah. And he's earned every minute of it. I mean, he's going to do Wolf Trap. He's done Merrill He's going to do the Houston Grand Opera program. And it just feels like a single moment like that can change everything. And I would, I mean, I just wish him the best. You know, if you, here, if you go to Wikipedia, it's not hard. Go to Wikipedia and just look at the list of the winners, even in the last 10 years. You're going to recognize these names. I recognize these names. I've been fortunate enough to work with some of these people. It's crazy how one competition can sort of change everything. I wish there was something like this for directors. <laughs> I can tell you that. I don't know how it would work, though, exactly. Like, I don't know. Because when you're singing up there, I mean, yes, you're collaborating with the orchestra and with the conductor, but when you're directing, there are so many moving parts. I don't know how you'd be able to separate necessarily the director's work from everything that is required to present the director's work. So I wish there was a competition like this out there, but I, I don't know how we would uh, ever make it, make it happen. Someday. Someday. Uh, Hey, let's uh, do some opera headlines. Two Minute Drill.
1: This just in. The Two Minute Drill.
0: Time now for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. Former Arkansas governor and 2012 Republican presidential candidate Mike Huckabee has written an op-ed piece for the Washington Post asking President Trump to keep the National Endowment for the Arts. He writes, I do care greatly about the real recipients of endowment funds, the kids in poverty for whom NEA programs may be their only chance to learn to play an instrument, test drive their God-given creativity, and develop a passion for those things that civilize and humanize us all. Director Gail Edwards, who directed and designed a production of Bizet's Carmen for Opera Australia in 2013, has said that he cannot guarantee the integrity of the remount of his work this month by the company. He wanted to return to Opera Australia to direct, and they denied his request. Christophe Coppens is still best known in his native Belgium as its most prominent milliner, that means hat maker, by the way. Uh, he's made hats for people like Rihanna. Now he's returning to his theater roots and he's directing a new production of Jana Checks, The Cunning Little Vixen at La Manet in Brussels. Former English National Opera Artistic Director John Barry has launched a new not-for-profit company called Opera Ventures. It will produce opera, mixed-media performances, workshops, classes, and training. Here's an update from a story last week. The Rossini Festival at Pizarro has been struggling to replace the orchestra and chorus of the Teatro Comunale in Bologna, which ended a 30-year partnership, and now they've got one. Italian national broadcaster RAI is going to supply the orchestra. Over to the disabled list, the final performances of Verdi's Ernani was cancelled in Toulouse after the tenor Alfred Kim was arrested on charges of beating up a young woman in his apartment hotel. And on this day in 1917, the premiere of La Rondine by Giacomo Puccini in Monte Carlo. That is the two-minute drill.
1: You're listening to Opera Box Score. With George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho Tobias Wright, and Dinah Fisher
0: all right Mr. Alex let's work our way through some of these stories do it. uh what do you make of this Mike Huckabee thing
2: you know i i I appreciate the sentiment I really do uh it's just some of some of the way he says things I mean he, it's just you you want to get behind the sentiment, but just some of the ways that he goes about it, it just makes you feel like, okay, I, I agree with you, but.
0: You know, my wife was not surprised when I talked to her about this headline. She's not an opera person, by the way. She was surprised in a good way, I guess. That is to say, she would expect someone like Huckabee to say this. And I was like, well, why? He's a Republican. She said, no, it's nothing to do with that. It's because he's from the South, and in the South, they value music. Why? Because they all go to church. Oh, okay. And so for her point about Huckabee was like, and he's coming, he's coming from this religious point. Mm-hmm. You know, he talks about God uh, giving creativity. And that's why music is so important to someone like Huckabee. Here's the fact of the matter is that the NEA budget is so small, it's like $150 million, that there's no benefit to getting rid of it. At the same token, so few people benefit from this country anyway. I, it's hard to think of arts organizations, I mean, certainly in Chicago, but in smaller cities that they really kind of benefit from this money. I, I'm very torn about this thing. I'm going to be torn about this issue for a while to come. <laughs> Gail Edwards, he's a fantastic director, by the way. Uh, this, so this production of Carmen that was done in 2013, it's an outdoor production. At Opera Australia. It's done at the harbor where the Sydney Opera House is. He wants to come back to direct. Many opera houses would argue that they should not bring back the original directors. They can't afford them. And so they get staff directors that are already part of the opera house. They live in Sydney. They get them to direct. The problem, of course, is that how do you know that that work is going to be reproduced exactly the way it was in the beginning? My question for you, Alex, is, so you're a singer, would it affect you either way if the original director was brought back or if it was an in-house guy doing the revival?
2: Um. Well, I think if I was doing a production that had an original creative team that was then replaced, I think I would benefit from at least maybe discussing some things with the original creative team, at least kind of getting some context from their vision. But if... It's a finished product, and if it's a very successful finished product, uh, and if it's kind of s- stood the test of, of time, and if it's, if it's successful enough to be remounted, uh, I would be okay uh, c- continuing forward with with a new team, knowing that this these things are in place.
0: i <laughs> spoken like a true singer, my man. <laughs> As a director, this would be totally infuriating. It's like you create this thing, and you labor over it, and then what you realize is that a photocopy of a photocopy of a photocopy of your idea is going to be put out there. This sort of thing drives me nuts. Almost drives me as much nuts, if that's a phrase I can use, about this guy, Christoph Coppens. So his story is he starts in theater school, I guess, I think in the 90s in Belgium, kind of gets out of it basically, goes into making hats of all things. I mean, how hipster can as you, you get? Do. <laughs> As you do, making hats. Then he goes and... Okay, so the director of La Monnaie in Brussels, which I've been to, by the way, it's a beautiful opera house. Uh, the general director uh, calls up Coppins to, at the very last minute, design this production. And he does. He does it over a single weekend and submits the costume designs for this show while he's living in L.A. I think that's where he's based now. And... Then Coffins goes to Belgium and they do the fittings of the costumes and then the artistic director's like, hey, do you want to come back and direct again? I tell you, the way this business works, do you know what I mean? It's just like, (laughs) that what you know, it's who you know. I can't can't speak to this guy's talent. I haven't seen any of his shows, but wow, what a path he's on.
2: (laughs) I mean, if he directs any way like he makes hats, then it should be in good shape.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We'll see. We'll see about that. This is very interesting. All right, so... English National Emperor, we've talked about their problems on this show before. That company has gone up and down and up and down. I think they're on the way up right now. Daniel Kramer, new artistic director, actually, again, Northwestern University grad, American guy living in London, trying to get this company financially stable, trying to get the right programming going on. But prior to him, artistic director John Barry ran into some problems, was put into a position of authority with so the reports say some pulling of strings now he's doing his own things now he's got this uh new venture called opera ventures and what i love about this is two things first of all mixed media performances it doesn't say if that's like all oral mediums what we were talking about on the beginning of the show classical music opera djs or if he literally means mixed media in terms of like the visual arts, performing arts, music arts, sculpture, what's, what exactly that is. And then, of course, the other angle of this of, of classes and training. I will say, if there's anyone who's going to try and train the next generation of opera directors, singers, conductors, it's going to be someone like John Barry, simply because he's been in the business so long, so connected. It's going to be based in London. I think it's a great, great thing. Sure. Alfred Kim the tenor arrested on charges of beating up a young woman in his apartment hotel in Toulouse. Extra details on that. He's brought to court the following day, eight months suspended sentence and a fine of 8,000 euros. Now he's due to appear in Verdi's, uh, excuse me, not Ernani, that's what he was doing, Verdi's Aida in Brussels, and Puccini's Turn in Covent Garden. So he's got some big shows lined right, up. Yeah. Who knows what exactly happened here but what a way, what a way to, to, to go out. I mean, what can you do, though? It's, I, You're the management of that company. You find out. What's your call?
2: I don't think there's really a way to come back from that. Yeah. I mean, regardless of any outcome of anything, it's, that's,
0: that's kind of blacklisting, it seems. It really is. I was reading some other details on this, and this is more hearsay now, that he, he was drunk. And he was like, I don't know how to take my liquor. Like, yeah, dude. Stop hitting people, you know. Poor choice. Very, very poor choice. Ah, La Rondine. Puccini. La Rondine is a funny, funny opera. I saw it at Lyric Opera of Chicago in in a period production. I mean, the music's fantastic in my opinion i love all puccini it, it's not the top of the puccini bill for me it's not the first thing what are some of the puccini operas that you would want to sing in
2: oh uh, well i uh, i'm currently staying in lyric tenor land so i'm not getting too heavy anytime soon yeah. but you know i I'd, I'd love to take a, a first one would probably be uh rodolfo and bohem mm-hmm. i i've been listening to that music since uh in my early days of undergrad and that's that's something I've really, really wanted to dig into someday.
0: What about Renu Cho from Jenny's Ooh, Schiki. Jenny Schiki? Ooh. I, Yeah. That'd too be too heavy too. for you? Well,
2: <laughs> it may be a little heavy, but it's a one act, so maybe I can, I can survive yeah, it. Yeah. It, get, it
0: gets really high, doesn't yeah, it? It's, yeah. yeah. It's it really high. Exactly. All right. Hey, we're almost out of time. We're going to wrap this show up.
1: Good call. Bad call. On Opera Box Score.
0: Alex Carey, what a privilege my man to have you on the show tonight.
2: Oh, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for having me.
0: As always, we wrap it up with a good call or a bad call, and I'm going to have you go first, sir. What is on your plate? You got something great from the past week or something lousy?
2: Um, well, I think it's 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 I think it's a good thing. Um, I'm still feeling good off of the closing of of L'Enfant, speaking of voice, high singing. I sang the, the math role, and that's up in the stratosphere for the right. whole entirety of it. Uh, and I think uh, the bad thing, it's not bad. It's just challenging. Uh, I'm immediately jumping into everything else going on with the right. rest of my semester. So right. it's, it's a lot to take on, but uh, I'm surviving.
0: Here's my good call, and it has nothing to do with opera. Finally, Super Mario Run was released for really? the Android platform. <laughs> <laughs> I... I- Okay. So the good call was that now I can play. It. The bad call is is that my son who's 7 is more levels ahead of me than I am and has had to explain to me how to play the game.
2: That is the same story with Pokemon Go with my mom. She picked it up <laughs> over the summer, and she's so far ahead of me. It's great, though.
0: It's <laughs> the other the other generation is going the other way. So my son and your mom should both play Pokemon Go together. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, that's it for this week's show. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. Visit Norm on the web at voxershorts.com, V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. At WNUR, the programming director is Nick Anderson, and the general manager is Brack Ducey. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. On Facebook and Twitter, search for Opera Box Score. Hey, like our Facebook page, share and comment on our posts, or just tweet us at Opera Box Score. Subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. And look, if you like what you hear, please leave a review on iTunes. It's going to take you like 30 seconds. It's the cheapest and it's the fastest way for you to help promote our show. The creative consultant for Opera Score is Oliver Camacho. For Alex Carey, I'm George Cedarquist, asking you to continue the conversation about opera Now that you still have health insurance, we're back next Monday at 9 Central with more quick hits, hot takes, general merriment, don't miss it. Argo Radio is up next. DJ Joe and DJ Steve, this is WFM, Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment.